Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Your Salvation Story. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, What It Means to Be Born Again. When my children were young, there was a movie we watched as a family, not once, but many times. It was The Princess Bride. I think my kids had memorized all the lines, and one of my favorite parts of that movie is when it was thought that Wesley, who's the hero of the story, had died, and then they bring his body to a man named Miracle Max. And Miracle Max wants to ask Wesley a question, but Inigo explains that he can't talk because he's dead. Well, Miracle Max then says, Woo-hoo-hoo! Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. And so Inigo opens Wesley's mouth, and Miracle Max puts the front end of a bellows into his mouth and starts pumping air into him through the bellows. And then Max says, now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. And Inigo asks, well, what's that? And Miracle Max says, go through his clothes and look for loose change. According to the Bible, Ephesians 2, before we came to Christ, we were not mostly dead. We were all dead. Might as well look through our clothes and look for loose change. No bellows in the lungs, no phony Miracle Max who can breathe life back into your swooning state. We were dead to God, dead to righteousness, dead to the gospel. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. That's because God can do what no one else can. God can raise the dead and infuse us with the life of the resurrection. We sometimes call this the new birth. It's also called regeneration. It's the giving of a new heart in which the heart is awakened to love the things of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think, summarizes it well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I've said that I'll come to the need for us to respond to God and that our conversion certainly is our response to God. But I've also said that according to John 1.13, that to be born again is not according to the will of man, but of God. It is God who makes us alive. We don't make ourselves alive. God makes us a new creation. We don't get there by our own moral reform. The new birth is a miraculous raising of the dead. Therefore, regeneration is an instantaneous event. As John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Once blind, now seeing. That that happens instantly. And furthermore, this event happens only once. Look, I know there are people who came to Christ as children, and since that time, they've, they've grown in their knowledge of God over the years. So as a child, perhaps it was a parent or a Sunday school teacher or some other loved one who knelt with this child and led the child in a prayer. You know, dear Jesus, I I want you to forgive my sins and come into my heart and make me yours, and I want to be with you forever in heaven after I die. Now, if that's your story, I mean, you might not look back at a a dramatic one-time change. Instead, you might notice that, you know, perhaps you were a teenager and you rebelled for a season, and then came that time when you feel that that you made your faith your own. And so it has seemed to you 
from your understanding that you've gradually grown into Christ. Now, even while that's what it seems like, if you're truly born again, that is not what happened. Your new birth is no different than anyone else. Once you were dead in sin, Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You were born as one of Adam's fallen race. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. You were born into Adam. You were conceived in sin. You were born into death. In your infant heart, you already were a rebel. And as you grew, you screamed and flew into a rage. And sometimes you threw your peas onto the floor. Even as an infant, when anyone thwarted your will, you proved your rage against all authority. But if you came to Christ as a child, God caused you to be born again. And it is his life from the dead that is the explanation for your faith today. Once you were dead, now born again. It's a part of your growth as a Christian that you must now, as an adult, look at your regeneration and see it in exactly these terms. Now, I'm going to push this matter even further. There are results that flow from the new birth, and these results are in every child of God. See, since it is true that once we're born again, we become a new creature, well, then we should expect that since all things are now made new, that we would expect to see a transformation life in everyone that's born again. You might remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So here's Jesus' question. Do you get figs from thorn bushes? Well, no, you don't. Does a good tree bear bad fruit? No. And so whenever anyone is born again, they begin to produce a life that is full of the things of God. See, there are a number of signs, or we could say fruit, that we can identify in everyone who is born again. And for the sake of brevity, I'm going to suggest only seven signs, but they are signs of everyone who has been born again. Number one, every person who has been born of God lives in active obedience to Christ or lives in obedience to Scripture, which, of course, is the Word of Christ. We find that when our hearts are awakened to God, that the Scripture, the commands of our Lord, are our delight and our hearts desire to do His will. How do we know that's true? Well, let me share a number of Scriptures that will clarify that matter. First, from 1 John 2, verse 29, it says, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. That's what the new birth does. Those who are born again make a practice of righteous obedience. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Well, that same thought is repeated in 1 John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I know some explanation is required here. See, does this mean that anyone who struggles with, let's say, habitual sin has not been born of God? 
Well, no, that's, that's not what the passage means. Listen to 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is, no one born of God denies the reality of his or her own sin. We do sin. That's why 1 John 2, verse 1 is written. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So then how do we put that together? Well, to make a practice of sinning is to carry on in sin without the impulse to arrest it and to lean on the Holy Spirit for his help. Let me give an easy example. Let's say someone's involved in sexual sin, and then they're confronted, but they don't repent. They, they make excuses. Who are you to judge me? Or, listen, we're living in the 21st century, and you need to accept the new morality. Or, or look, we all have our own sins, and mine's no worse than yours, so lay off. Look, all of those reactions are the reactions of a heart that is dead in sin, unresponsive to God. But I don't have to stop there. Let's say you're a Christian given to gossip and slander of others. And when you're convicted, your response is not repentance, but justification. Well, they deserve it, you say, of those whose reputation you've just pillaged. What am I saying about this? Simply this, those who are born again have declared war against all the remaining sin that's still left in our flesh. Because the heart has been transformed, those who are born again hate sin. Not because we might be discovered, but we hate sin because we find sin that lives in our flesh to be hateful in and of itself. It's an offense to God, and our heart is grieved, as is the Holy Spirit, for the sin that remains. And it is for this reason that every born-again believer is at war with their own sin. It is the impulse of our heart that we put our sin to death. I, as a preacher, don't have to tell you to fight against sin. You already want to. All I do is encourage you, don't you give up. If you're born again, a seed is planted in your heart, and you find that no matter what it takes, you are now determined to kill all remaining sin in you. Every day we hear from listeners across the country, and your words of encouragement mean so much. Mason recently wrote, I really appreciate that you teach the Bible, straightforward, no mincing of words, as it is, and so informative. You know, we're grateful for messages just like these, but they only happen because of your generous support to help extend this program's reach across the nation to resource Canadians with trustworthy Bible teaching. It's a privilege to stand with like-minded and like-hearted individuals who share the steadfast commitment to see others engaged in a dynamic relationship with Jesus, grounded in biblical truth. Your donations are absolutely pivotal in fulfilling Back to the Bible Canada's mission, and we're so blessed by your partnership. To give today, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. reading 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, 
nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, if you carry on in adultery or in idolatry or in reviling others, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the news of Scripture. You won't inherit the kingdom of God by moral reform either. You need to be born again. You need a heart transplant. You need to be washed. You need to be raised from the dead. You need the resurrection life of Jesus. And when that happens, you will find you are a different man or a woman. I've said there are a number of signs of the new birth, and the first is that our hearts are now moved to obedience to Christ. Second, we're transformed to become the people of love with a special emphasis for the love towards the people of God. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, the brother spoken of here is the brother or sister in Christ. It's a mark of the believer that we love the church. We, we love the Christian community. We don't give up on the assembly of God's people. Look, let's be real about this. Now, I personally have been deeply hurt by the church in the past, and I would say to you that no one can hurt you like the church. But the church is still the people of God, and I will not but forgive and continue to love and continue to seek the welfare and good of God's people, for this is the bride of Christ. Of course, love extends beyond the boundaries of God's people, and it is for that reason that Christians do seek to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and bring comfort wherever men and women are in distress. We are to be agents of love and peace everywhere we go, but deep in our hearts we seek to continue to remain in fellowship with brother and sister in Jesus. Now, let's look at the third mark of the new birth. Listen to 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, overcoming the world means to overcome both the lure of the world and also to overcome the temptations of the world. According to John, the world is driven by lust and sensuality. It's also driven by the appeal to the things that can be bought, worldly wealth. And thirdly, it's driven by the desire to exercise power. You know, I've often said the great temptation for younger men is sex, and the great temptation for older men is power. Power is an aphrodisiac for older men. But now the world's changing, and it offers the same to women as well. Now, Christian, resist. Your worth is not in what you own. Your worth is in the costly wounds of Jesus born for you on the cross. I would gladly then, for the sake of the cross, suffer the loss of all things. Let the world persecute me, and I will claim that I never wanted what it had to offer in the first place. Does the world seem like a lure to you? Yeah, it does. But the new nature of the believer finds Jesus more precious than silver and gold. It is for that reason that the people of God neither honor nor dishonor the rich, and we neither honor or dishonor the poor. If you're a rich believer, you need to glory in this truth. You're a slave of Jesus. And if you're a poor Christian, you need to glory in this truth, that you've been made a son or a daughter of Christ and a joint heir with him of all things. And if you're born again, you understand. 
You may be tempted and at times you might fail, but your heart testifies that these truths are real. Now, a fourth mark of the new birth. Christ has protected us from Satan. 1 John 5, 18 and 19 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is, the world lies in the power of Satan, but we, having received a new birth, well, we belong to God. We are his. God protects his own. Please understand that doesn't mean that we can't be persecuted. We can also be killed. The martyrs of the Christian church will carry on until Christ returns. But no matter what Satan does to us, he cannot separate us from our Lord. Our confidence remains in the one who saved us and who loved us. Christians can't be possessed by demons either. Christians can't be subverted into Satan's kingdom. A fifth mark of those who have been born of God is that we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A sixth mark that we are born of God is that our faith is in Jesus. We trust in our Lord. He's the object of our trust. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That is, Jesus is both the object of our faith, but he's also the one we trust in. We believe he is the Son of God, and we believe that his promises are true. That's why we do forsake the world, for we know that the world is passing away, but he remains forever. This world can only give us death, but he offers us life, and we trust him. You know, some time ago, I had a conversation with a so-called faith teacher. He asked me, do you believe in faith? And I said, no, I believe in Jesus. You see, I don't think the faith principle works. I think Jesus keeps his promises to his elect. And I'm convinced that not only is Jesus who he says he is, I'm also convinced that right now he's working out every one of his good promises in me. If you're born again, you feel the same. Faith is an amazing gift from God. I love Acts 16, verse 14. It's it's a part of the story of the very first Christian convert in Europe. Her name is Lydia. And Paul has just arrived in Greece from Turkey. And he, he travels inland to a place called Philippi. Now, Luke describes what happened there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And when I hear those words, the Lord opened her heart, and consequently, she listened to the gospel message delivered by Paul. Well, I'm reminded why all those of us who are born again have faith. God opened our hearts. Our hearts were burning as we heard the gospel message. You know, I'm reminded of the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching the very first Christian evangelistic message in the city of Jerusalem. And Luke says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's the response to God. It's because God opened their hearts to hear the message in the first place. It was God who deeply convicts every believer of sin. It was God who made Jesus to be the object of our praise and devotion. I've said that I've wanted to identify at least seven markers of the new birth. I've said they include obedience, number one. Number two, love. 
Three, overcoming the world. Four, protection from Satan. Five, the fruit of the Spirit. And six, that we continue to trust and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Let me add one more, the seventh. This one comes from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Now, that word accept could be translated in this way. The natural person does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God with joy. Indeed, they're foolishness to him. And in contrast, the man or woman who's born again, who is the Spirit of God living within, finds the things of the Spirit to be their delight. They know it's the wisdom of God. We long to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We long to grow in the mercy of our God. And as long as we live, the bent of our hearts will be to learn, to grow, and to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's why true believers don't tolerate heresy. It's because we long for truth, not the latest novel theory. We find delight in truth, not in novel things. Yep, it really is true that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Once a rebel, we now find ourselves willing lovers of God and of his only Son. The Spirit is alive in us, and we can't be the same. And this is all the work of God. But of course, we enter the kingdom by faith, and that's a matter that we will begin to consider tomorrow. But from this, please know, authentic Christianity is not just intellectual belief. It is indeed a radical conversion of the heart. To be born from above is to have received a new set of affections. We now find Christ to be ultimately valuable. John, I'm going to paraphrase something we talked about earlier. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, I believe, mentioned it in, in respect to, you know, when you aren't fighting against sin, that's when you're not following Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I I think the mark of a believer is that we've declared war against sin. So let me say this. You fall into the same sin a thousand times. The mark that you're in Christ is you're going to get up a thousand and one time. You will not lay in the mud until you learn by the power of the Spirit. Now, you know, there'll be times, you know, a believer, we fight this thing in the power of our own flesh, or we think if I gain more willpower, and it never works. We need to learn to rely on the Spirit and to put our minds on the things that are above rather than the things below. Well, that's growing as a believer. But the mark of the believer is that we will not make peace with sin. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Your Salvation Story, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Few verses encapsulate the message of the gospel better than John 3.16. It's been memorized, put on posters, and even waved from end zones at football games. But perhaps you've never heard an exposition of this great verse as in-depth as the one Dr. John offers in his new five-message series, John 3.16. With two hours of audio dedicated to unpacking exactly what each component of this verse means for the believer, I think this series may just completely enhance and renew your appreciation for the depth of truth found in this verse. To that end, Back to the Bible Canada is offering the John 3.16 series on CD for free during the month of March. So take advantage of this limited time offer and call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free CD series today.